Chapter thirty seven of the Roots of the Mountains by William Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Of the folk moat of the Dalesman, the shepherd folk, and the woodland carls, the banner of the wolf displayed. Now came the day of the great folk moat, and there was much thronging from everywhere to the moatstead, but most from Burgstead itself whereas few of the dale-dwellers who had been at the fair had gone back home, albeit some of the shepherds and of the dalesmen of the westernmost dale had brought light tents, and tilted themselves in the night before the moat, down in the meadows below the moatstead. From early morning there had been a stream of folk on the portway setting westward, and many came thus early that they might hold converse with friends and well-wishers, and some that they might disport them in the woods. Men went in no ordered vans, as the Burgstead men at least had done on the day of the weapon-show, save that a few of them who were arrayed the bravest, gathered about the banners, and went with them to the moatstead, for all the banners must needs be there. The folk-moat was to be hallowed in three hours before noon, as all men knew. Therefore an hour before that time were all men of the dale and the shepherds assembled, that might be looked for save the aldermen and the chieftains with the banner of the burg, and these were not like to come many minutes before the hallowing. Folk were gathered on the field in such wise that the men-at-arms made a great ring about the doom-ring, albeit there were many old men there girt with swords that they should never heave up again in battle, so that without that ring there was naught save women and children. But when all the other houses were assembled, men looked around and beheld the place of the woodlanders, that it was empty, and they marvelled that they were thus belated, for now all was ready, and a watcher had gone up to the tower on the height, and had with him the great horn of warning, which could be heard past the moatstead, and a great way down the dale. And if he saw foes coming from the east, he should blow one blast, if from the south, two, if from the west, three, if from the north, four. So half an hour from the appointed time of hallowing rose the rumour that the alderman was on the road, and presently they of the women who were on the outside of the throng, by drawing nigh to the edge of the sheer rock, could behold the banner of the burg on the portway, and soon after could see the wain, done about with green boughs, wherein sat the chieftains in their glittering war-gear. Speedily they spread the tidings, and a confused shout went up into the air, and in a little while the wain stayed on Wild Lake's way, at the bottom of the steep slope that went up to the moatstead, and the banner of the burg came on proudly up the hill. Soon all men beheld it, and saw that the tall hall-face bore it in front of his brother Face of God, who came on gleaming in war-gear, better than most men had seen, which was indeed of his father's fashioning, and his father's gift to him that morning. After face of God came the alderman, and with him folk might, leading the sunbeam by the hand, and then Stoneface and the elder of the dale-wardens, and then the six burg-wardens. As to the other dale-wardens, they were in their places on the field. So now those who had been standing up turned their faces toward the altar of the gods, and those who had been sitting down sprang to their feet, and the confused rumour of the throng rose into a clear shout, as the chieftains went to their places, and sat them down in the turf-seats, 
amidst the doom-ring facing the speech-hill and the altar of the gods. Amidmost sat the alderman, on his right hand face of God, and out from him hall-face, and then stone-face and three of the wardens. But on his left hand sat first the two guests, then the elder of the dale-wardens, and then the other three burg-wardens. As for the banner of the burg, its staff was stuck into the earth behind them, and the banner raised itself in the morning wind, and flapped and rippled over their heads. There then they sat, and folk abided, and it still lacked some minutes of the due time, as the alderman watted by the shadow of the great standing-stone betwixt him and the altar. Therewithal came the sound of a great horn from out of the wood on the north side, and men knew it for the horn of the woodland carls, and were glad, for they could not think why they should be belated. And now men stood up a tiptoe, and on others' shoulders, to look over the heads of the women and children to behold their coming, but their empty place was at the south-west corner of the ring of men. So presently men beheld them, marching toward their place, cleaving the throng of the women and children, a great company. For besides that they had with them two score more of men under weapons than on the day of the weapon-show, all their little ones and women and outworn elders were with them, some on foot, some riding on oxen and asses. In their forefront went the two signs of the battle-shaft and the war-spear, but moreover in front of all was borne a great staff with the cloth of a banner wrapped round about it, and tied up with a hempen yarn, that it might not be seen. Stark and mighty men they looked, tall and lean, broad-shouldered, dark-faced. As they came amongst the throng, the voice of their horn died out, and for a few moments they fared on with no sound save the tramp of their feet. Then, all at once, the man who bare the hidden banner lifted up one hand, and straightway they fell to singing, and with that song they came to their place, and this is some of what they sang. O white, white sun, what things of wonder hast thou beheld from thy wall of the sky, all the roofs of the rich and the grief thereunder, as the fear of the earl-folk flitteth by. Thou hast seen the flame steal forth from the forest, to slay the slumber of the lands, as the dusky lord whom thou abhorrest clomb up to thy burg unbuilt with hands. Thou lookest down from thy door the golden, nor baitest thy wide-shining mirth, as the ramparts fall and the roof-trees olden lie smouldering low on the burning earth. When flitteth the half-dark night of summer from the face of the murder great and grim, tis thou thyself and no newcomer shines golden bright on the deed undim. Art thou our friend, O day-dawn's lover, Full oft thine hand hath sent a slant, bright beams athwart the wood-bears cover, where the feeble folk and the nameless haunt. Thou hast seen us quail, thou hast seen us cower, thou hast seen us crouch in the green abode, while for us wert thou slaying slow, hour by hour, and smoothing down the war-rough road. Yea, the rocks of the waste were thy dawns upheaving, to let the days of the years go through and thy noons the tangled brake were cleaving, the slow-foot seasons deed to do. Then gaze adown on this gift of our giving, for the wolf comes wending frith and ford, and the folk fares forth from the dead to the living, for the love of the leaf by the light of the sword. 
Then ceased the song, and the whole band of the woodlanders came tumultuously into the space allotted them, like the waters pouring over a river dam, their white swords waving aloft in the morning sunlight, and wild and strange cries rose up from amidst them, with sobbing and weeping of joy. But soon their troubled fronts sank back into ordered ranks, their bright blades stood upright in their hands before them, and folk looked on their company, and deemed it the very terror of battle, and render of the ranks of war. Right well were they armed, for though many of the weapons were ancient and somewhat worn, yet were they the work of good smiths of old days, and moreover, if any of them lacked good war-gear of his own, that had the alderman and his sons made good to them. But before the hedge of steel stood the two tall men, who held in their hands the war-tokens of the battle-shaft and the war-spear, and betwixt them stood one who was indeed the tallest man of the whole assembly, who held the great staff of the hidden banner, and now he reached up his hand, and plucked at the yarn that bound it, which of set purpose was but feeble, and tore it off, and then shook the staff aloft with both hands, and shouted, and lo, the banner of the wolf, with the sunburst behind him, glittering bright, new woven by the women of the kindred, ran out in the fresh wind, and flapped and rippled before his warriors there assembled. Then from all over the moatstead arose an exceeding great shout, and all men waved aloft their weapons. But the men of Shadowy Vale who were standing amidst the men of the face knew not how to demean themselves, and some of them ran forth into the field, and leapt for joy, tossing their swords into the air, and catching them by the hilts as they fell. And amidst it all the woodlanders now stood silent and moving, as men abiding the word of onset. As for that brother and sister, the sunbeam flushed red all over her face, and pressed her hands to her bosom, and then the passion of tears overmastered her, and her breast heaved, and the tears gushed out of her eyes, and her body was shaken with weeping. But Folkmite sat still, looking straight before him, his eyes glittering, his teeth set, his right hand clutching hard at the hilts of the sword, which lay naked across his knees. And the bride, who stood clad in her begemmed and glittering war-array, in the forefront of the men of the steer, nigh unto the seats of the chieftains, beheld Folkmite, and her face flushed and brightened, and still she looked upon him. The alderman's face was of one pleased and proud, yet was its joy shadowed as it were by a cloud of compassion. Face of God sat like the very image of the war-god, and stirred not, nor looked toward the sunbeam, for still the thought of the after-grief of battle, and the death of friends and folk that loved him, lay heavy on his heart, for all that it beat wildly at the shouting of men. End of chapter 37